You're listening to an excerpt from The Case for United Prayer, a compilation of works by Jonathan Edwards, Samuel Prime, and Richard Cross. The chapter you are about to hear provides a detailed account of the Third Great Awakening that began in New York City in 1857 and spread throughout the world. Chapter 2. How the Revival Began In the upper lecture room of the Old North Dutch Church in Fulton Street, New York, a solitary man was kneeling upon the floor, engaged in earnest, importunate prayer. He was a man who lived very much in the lives of others, lived almost wholly for others. He had no wife or children, but there were thousands with their husbands and fathers without God and hope in the world. And these thousands were going to the gates of eternal death. He had surveyed all the lower wards of the city as a lay missionary of the old church, and he longed to do something for their salvation. He knew he could do many things. He could take tracts in his hand any and every day and distribute them. He could preach the gospel from door to door. All this he had done. To reach these perishing thousands, he needed a thousand lives. Could not something more effectual be done? So day after day, and many times a day, this man was on his knees, and his constant prayer was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The oftener he prays, the more earnest he becomes, He pleads with God to show him what to do and how to do it. A vast responsibility had been thrown upon him of caring for the spiritual welfare of the neglected thousands in these lower wards. He had been appointed to this work without being trammeled by any specific instructions by the authorities of the church, being left to act at his own discretion in much of his labor. The prayer was continually in his mind and in his heart. Lord, what, what wilt thou have me to do? He prayed for some way to be open to bring the claims of religion to bear upon the hearts and minds of these perishing multitudes. The more he prayed, the more encouraged he was in the joyful expectation that God would show him the way through which hundreds and thousands might be influenced on the subject of religion. But though he prayed and believed, he had not the remotest idea of the methods of God's grace which were about to be employed. The more he prayed, however, the more confident he became that God would show him what he would have him do. He had been earnestly seeking God's blessing and aid and guidance in the work which was before him. He had earnestly sought to be directed and instructed, and that he might be willing to follow the teachings of God's Spirit, whatever they might be. He rose from his knees, inspired with courage and hope, derived from above. Shall we describe this man? His age is not far from forty years. He is tall, well-made, with a remarkably pleasant benevolent face, affectionate in his disposition and manner, possessed of indomitable energy and perseverance, having good musical attainments, 
gifted in prayer and exhortation to a remarkable degree, modest in his demeanor, ardent in his piety, sound in his judgment, having good common sense, a thorough knowledge in human nature, and those traits of character that make him a welcome guest in any house. He is intelligent and eminently fitted for the position which he has been called to occupy, which up to the present moment he has so worthily filled. Mr. Jeremiah Calvin Lamphere was born in Coxsackie, New York. He became a resident of this city about 20 years ago, engaged in mercantile pursuits, united with the Tabernacle Church on profession of his faith in 1842, and was for eight or nine years a member of Reverend Dr. James W. Alexander's church. He joined the North Dutch Church in 1857, and in July 1st of the same year, entered upon his work as the missionary of that church under the direction of its consistory. He began his labors without any plan of instructions, and was left to do all the good he could, very much in his own way, the consistory always aiding him as much as was in their power. We have looked into this man's journal, which no human eye but our own has read, save the author's. The very first page is characteristic of the man. We copy the opening lines. New York, July 1st, 1857. Be not weary in well-doing. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13 Read the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy. Think I feel something of the responsibility of the work in which I have engaged felt a nearness to God in prayer, and my entire dependence on Him from whom cometh all my strength. So began this man his labors in the most neglected portion of the city of New York, the lower wards, and now for the first idea of a noonday prayer meeting. He says, Going my rounds in the performance of my duty one day, as I was walking along the streets, the idea was suggested to my mind that an hour of prayer from 12 to 1 o'clock would be beneficial to businessmen who usually in great numbers take that hour for rest and refreshment. The idea was to have singing, prayer, exhortation, relation of religious experience, as the case might be, that none should be required to stay the whole hour, that all should come and go as their engagement should allow or require or their inclinations dictate. Arrangements were made, and at 12 o'clock noon, on the 23rd of September, 1857, the door of the third-story lecture room was thrown open. At half-past twelve, the step of a solitary individual was heard upon the stairs, shortly after another, and another, then another, and last of all, another, until six made up the whole company. We had a good meeting. The Lord was with us to bless us. It will be seen that our missionaries sat out the first half of the first noonday prayer meeting alone, or rather he prayed, though the first half hour alone. Thus the noonday businessmen's prayer meeting was inaugurated. It was to have new phases of interest. The old, long, cold, formal routine was to be broken up. Everything was to be arranged for the short stay of those who came. All the exercises were to be brief, pointed, and to the purpose, touching the case in hand. 
This idea grew out of the pressing necessity of men's engagements. They could come in and stay five minutes. They might have an opportunity to take part, for no one was to occupy more than five minutes in remarks or prayer. The second meeting was held a week afterwards, on Wednesday, September 30th, when 20 persons were present. It was a precious meeting. There was much prayer, and the hearts of those present were melted within them. The next meeting was held October 7th. Speaking of this meeting, the private journal says, Prepared for the prayer meeting today at noon. Called to invite a number of persons to be present. Spoke to men as I met them in the street, as my custom is, if I can get their attention. I prayed that the Lord would incline many to come to the place of prayer. Went to the meeting at noon, present between thirty and forty. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. This meeting was of so animated and encouraging a character that a meeting was appointed for the next day at which a large number attended. And from this day dates the Businessmen's Union Daily Prayer Meeting. The meetings were moved down to the middle lecture room as being more commodious. Of the meeting of the 8th of October, it is said in this same journal, Attended the prayer meeting at noon, a larger number present, and there was a spirit of reconsecration to the service of Christ, and a manifest desire to live near His cross. This meeting, as we learn from other sources, was one of uncommon fervency in prayer, of deep humility and self-abasement, and great desire that God would glorify Himself in the outpouring of His Spirit upon them. We are not much surprised to find the following mention of the next meeting, October 9th. Called on a number to invite them to attend the noonday prayer meeting. Went to the meeting at noon. A large number present. The meeting increases in interest. Increases also in numbers. We had a precious time. It was the very gate of heaven. Passing on now to October 13th, we find a rapid advancement in the intensity of religious feeling as the following extract will show. This being, in every sense, a faithful and the only record which is preserved of these meetings. Attended the noonday prayer meeting, a large number present, and God's Spirit was manifestly in our midst. And of the next day, October 14th, it is said, Attended the noonday prayer meeting, over 100 present, many of them not professors of religion, but under conviction of sin, and seeking an interest in Christ, inquiring what they shall do to be saved. God grant that they find Christ precious to their souls. It is added, This is a cloudy, rainy day. Of the few following meetings, we find such notices in the journal as these. A large attendance. A good spirit pervaded the place. A great desire to be humble before God, in view of past sins. I feel that God's spirit is moving in the hearts of the people. And now, October 23rd, one month from the date of the first noonday prayer meeting, we have this remarkable passage. Called on some of the editors of the religious papers to have them notice the interest that is daily manifested in our meetings. Thus the great revival had actually commenced and had been in progress for some time. 
before any public mention had been made of it, so noiseless had been its footsteps. The religious interest at the Fulton Street prayer meeting, as it was now commonly called, had gone on increasing more and more, till its influence began to be powerfully felt abroad in different and distant portions of the city. Pastors and many laymen belonging to the churches of New York and Brooklyn had been into one or more of these meetings and had been warmed by the holy fire already kindled. And as the sparks from the burning building are born to kindle other fires, so these carried the fire to their own churches. You've been listening to an excerpt from The Case for United Prayer, a ministry of SermonAudio.com. The purpose of this book is simply to inspire and invigorate God's people to take up the same mantle in our own generation and to give ourselves continually to prayer. Remembering God's marvelous works in the past enlarges our faith in the place of prayer and gives us bright hope for the future. May God bless this humble attempt.